with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy and chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, 1 Timothy is a letter written by a man called Paul, and he's writing it to a man called Timothy, hence the name. And Paul has has written many important things to Timothy, but the things we're going to focus on this morning now, God willing, are the conclusion to Paul's introduction, verses 12 to 17. Shall we see what Paul has to say to Timothy and to us? Verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. In those verses, who is Paul talking about? He talks about himself quite a lot, doesn't he? he talks, he's, this is a, an apostle, a preacher writing a letter to the churches. He's talking about himself a lot. His calling, in verse 12. His own testimony, in verses 13 to 16. And his gospel, verse 15. In almost every verse, he refers to himself. So we might be justified this morning asking the question, well, what has this got to do with me? What has this got to do with any of us? Can we all just go home? Paul explains in verse 16 that what has happened to him is a pattern for all those who will believe in Jesus for everlasting life. It's a pattern for all who will believe in him. Is that you? Not all of us here this morning are believing in the Lord Jesus for eternal life. That's just the way things are. Not all of us here really believe in Jesus for eternal life. And yet... That door is wide open. It's wide open for each of us. Anyone can come to the Lord Jesus, put their faith and their trust in him and receive eternal life in his name. Therefore, these verses are as much about us as it is about Paul. These verses tell us about our testimony 
how we are saved by Jesus. It is about our calling, how we are set apart by him to serve his church forever. It's about our gospel, which we are to confess and to tell to others all the days of our lives. So these verses are about us. And they mean something to us, so we will be paying attention to them this morning. Now, he says it's a pattern. Let's put these pattern pieces together, shall we? Let's make a little tapestry to tell the story of Paul, and in so doing, tell our own story, the story about you and me, shall we? The first stitches to this tapestry and this pattern is in verse 15. This is where the story starts. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now that is a mind-blowing start. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the old Star Wars movies, I mean the old ones, the proper ones, where you see a massive scene of space and then you see these enormous spaceships that are the size of planets and massive intergalactic battles. It's such a mind-blowing start that you're hooked. And that's a bit like what Paul is doing here. Huge beginnings, talking about Jesus Christ who came into the world. If he came, does that mean that he began to exist at his birth? No, he came from somewhere else. He came here. If he came into the world, does that mean he came from within the world? No, Paul says he came into the world. He, he existed beforehand elsewhere and he moved into the world from the outside. We're talking here about Jesus Christ who is God forever stooping from heaven, stepping into this place, this sin-sick and broken world where we live. He came to us from heaven to shake things up, to intervene, to confront us. A friend of mine has begun thinking about Christianity recently and the gospel and Jesus and all of these sorts of things and maybe that's where you are too. Are you thinking about these things? Confronted with the truth that Jesus Christ came into the world, she asked me this question. She said, why would God send his son for us? How would you answer that question? Why would God give his son for us? Paul says here, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why when he was in the womb of Mary, an angel told Mary and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, because that name means he will save his people from their sins. I can't put it better than a precious creed that the church confesses, which goes something like this. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who for us and for our salvation 
came down from heaven and was incarnate. He took on a body by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. What a story. What a beginning. He who is God, God's own Son, being born into this world where we live, where we are from, and he came to us. That's a shocker in and of itself, but all the more so when we remember that he came to save real sinners. He didn't come to save angels. He didn't come to save his favorites. It's true in a sense he did not come to save Christians or do-gooders. He came to save the rotten hateful scum of the earth, sinners. When he was here, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, have you realized already that this is a pattern about you? That this is true about you and me That we are the sinners, the likes of whom Jesus came to save? Paul did, didn't he? Look there at the end of verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am the king of sinners, he says. Now that takes us nicely now into the next part of this pattern. In verse 13, where Paul says... I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's me, he says. A blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent, arrogant, horrible man. Now we're talking here about the great apostle Paul. Do you think he's exaggerating just a little bit? When he says how horrible he was, do you think he's laying it on thick? Let's find out, shall we? If you turn with me to the book of Acts, we can read a little bit about Paul's life before he became a Christian. If you look here at Acts 22 and verse 4, Paul is speaking. And this bit wasn't written by Paul, it was written by a friend of his. He's quoting Paul. Paul says... I persecuted this way, Christianity, I persecuted Christians to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Absolutely shameless. Turn a few pages to Acts 26 and verse 11. Paul is speaking again, he says, I punished them often in every synagogue that I could find. I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, I chased them even into foreign cities. Then one more, this is from the mouth of Paul himself in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13. 
Paul says, You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. The man, I don't know if you agree with me here, I hope you do, he was totally unhinged, wasn't he? If you met him and agreed with him, you'd probably tell him to calm down. He was totally mad, hunting Christians wherever he could find them, far and wide. You know, on one occasion, they were stoning to get to death a Christian named Stephen. A brother of ours who is in glory now with the Lord, Stephen, he was being stoned to death. And Paul was there and he said to those who were stoning him, Hey guys, let me carry your coats you know, we'll just make all the more hands to throw stones at this poor man and kill him off. He loved to tear children from mothers, wives from husbands. His hobby was to tie them up in jails, making widows of Christian wives, widows of Christian wives, orphans of Christian children. Now, it's quite interesting. I don't know if you'll find this interesting with me, but at the time, he would have said that he loved God. He even thought he was doing God a service in chasing these people down. He was extremely religious. But now he says, I was a blasphemer. So which is right? Was he a blasphemer or was he loving God? Although his life was bursting with zeal for God, which I don't think any of us really know, Although he was zealous, his life showed that he hated Jesus and his people. With his lips, he honoured God, but his heart was far away from him and his son. Imagine somebody comes to your house and says, I love you. They come into your house, they clean everything. They iron all your clothes, they mow your lawn, they feed you, and they even make food for the future so you don't have to worry about that. They even pay off your debts. Or they serve you hand, foot, and finger to show you how much they love you. And then on the way home, they bump into one of your children and they kill them. That's the sort of love for God that Paul had. That's the sort of sinner that he was And this is the sinner that Jesus came to seek and to save. Now remember this is a pattern of who? Of us, isn't it? It's a pattern of us. We are all like this to start with, Paul says. Christ came into the world to save sinners and that's us. We say things that even shock ourselves sometimes. We have done things that we can't tell anyone else about, that keep us up at night. We have thoughts that are so wicked we wouldn't admit them to anyone, and it's even hard to do so to God our Father. We are blasphemers by our very lives. We want nothing to do with Jesus, naturally speaking. We want to reject him, his claim as lordship over my life. No, thank you. He says, come to me for rest. We say, no, thank you. We don't want him. We blaspheme him. 
worse. Many of us know what it's like for year after year after year after year to bless God with our mouths and our hearts be far away from him. Let's see what the Lord Jesus has to say about our hearts, shall we? He says he's come to seek and to save sinners. What are these sinners like? This is what he says in Mark's Gospel in chapter 7. He's talking here about your heart. Jesus says, From within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, envy, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. These are the sinners that Paul says Christ Jesus came to save. Now, considering our wickedness and that of Paul, I think we'd be justified in presuming we're doomed. Sensible to write ourselves off and say we are completely lost under the wrath and just judgment of God. But, Paul says, I obtained mercy. God is merciful, he says. Look there at verse 14. This is the next verse. And it shines this mercy in the brightest light. It says, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So here's Paul, this rotten sinner, hunting anything to do with the Lord Jesus to scour it off this planet. And he says, I received mercy from that very Jesus. And he paints this mercy in three aspects in verse 14. The first is easy enough. Grace, it says, was exceedingly abundant. You might have in your translation, overflowed. Isn't that wonderful? Grace overflowed from the Lord towards me. Just imagine that. The holy, perfect, spotless Son of God peering down onto this planet and he sees nobody that does any good. He sees sin and rottenness through and through. He sees Paul hunting Christians, killing his own brothers and sisters. He sees you. He sees your thoughts. He heard that thing that you said to your husband, to your wife. He saw how you treated that person in work. He saw what you did with that money, what you stole and what you took. He sees every seditious little thing that is stuck in our hearts, that sticks to us. He sees it all and his heart overflows with grace. And he steps into this world to save us. We sing, don't we, that wonderful hymn, Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and a gracious tide. Jesus says in Luke 9, 
I came not to judge the world, not to bring condemnation, but to save. The next two aspects of this mercy, the first being grace, the next two in this verse, they come out of the first one. They come out of grace. Which is why if you're reading the NET this morning, what your little verse here will say is something like, uh, grace overflowed, bringing faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. What Paul describes here as what has happened to him and what can happen to you is that the grace of the Lord Jesus overflows from his bursting heart into the heart of sinners. And there, in that cesspit of the sinner's heart, it forges faith and love. And these, these miraculous things, pour out of the sinner's heart towards the Lord Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Shouldn't that take our breath away? What used to come out of, Christ, out of sinners' hearts? Evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, lewdness, deceit, envy, murder. And the grace of the Lord Jesus pours into that heart. And now, bubbling out of it, comes faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for him and his people. The heart which once churned out nothing but hatred and sin and idols and anything wicked. Resistance to the Lord Jesus. Resistance to his will. Now it just falls over. Overflowed by the tsunami of the Lord Jesus' grace. And now faith and love can't help but pour out of that wicked heart towards the Lord Jesus. No way can that happen. That's a fantasy. You can't turn something as deceitful and wicked as the human heart into something so loving, something so Christian. Well, was Paul making all this up? Or did he really believe that it was true? He says it happened to him that this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ overflowed and overcame his own heart. In Acts chapter 9, it says this, that Paul was breathing threats to the church. It was air to him. It was his breath. Hunting Christians down was his life. And now, because of the grace of the Lord Jesus, which overcame his rotten heart, he says this, I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It doesn't matter how hard Paul was running to kill Christians. The Lord Jesus Christ was running harder after him. All of those three things then, grace, love, faith, 
that is the mercy that, uh, that Paul knew, that we can know in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a good quote here from uh, one of the old saints called Augustine. He says this, For all have sinned, all of us. So he sees this pattern. He sees that it applies to us. All have sinned and deprive, are deprived of the glory of God. Consequently, the whole human mass ought to be punished. And if the deserved punishment of damnation were rendered to all, beyond doubt that would be just. This is why those who are freed from it by the grace of God are called not vessels of their own works, their own efforts, but vessels of mercy. And whose mercy was it but him who sent Jesus Christ into this world to save sinners. How can this be? How can someone like Paul turn from such wickedness to such goodness? How has he gone from being a persecutor of the church to a saint? How is it that he went from being the greatest enemy of the church in the world to one of its greatest evangelists? How can hate become love? How can Jesus do this to people? How can he do that to me? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. For that we need to go to the heart of the Christian faith. We must go to the cross of the Lord Jesus. You see... Like Paul, we all hated Jesus. We rejected all that he had to say about himself. We rejected all that he had to say about us and our rotten hearts. We didn't like any of that, did we? So we pushed that down and away. We wanted nothing of him and his kingdom, so we murdered him. We pinned him to the cross and we put him in the ground, dead, buried, forgotten. The crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth is the highest expression of our utter hatred for the Son of God. And yet, in the unfathomable wisdom and mercy of our God, the same crucifixion is the highest expression of our Father's love for sinners. No wonder this is called foolishness to the world. In that darkest of days, Jesus Christ took upon his own shoulders the guilt of Paul. Every stone that was cast at Stephen, every evil thought, every wicked deed, every misspent hour that we have wasted away in this world, all of the things that we have said that we regret, everything that we have done, every punch that we've thrown, Everything that is rotten, that clings to us like filth, he took it all from his people onto his own shoulders. And he died instead of sinners. That judgment, that damnation that Paul earned, that we have earned, he took it upon his own shoulders and he died in our place. The Father did not spare his own son so that he might spare Paul so that he might spare you and me. 
Where do we go to find love? Where do we go to find mercy? If you want love, do you go to the the top hits on the pop charts or something? They're always singing about love. If you want to find love, you go to this most loveless place, the cross, where the love of God was poured out for sinners. The heart of God was broken for sinners. Where do you go for mercy? You go to this place where the Son of God was shown no mercy for you and for me. Where do you go to find life? Come here to Calvary, where the Prince of Life died for sinners like you and me. Is the grace, the love, the mercy of God any clearer, any greater, any more wonderful than on that cross of hate and shame? The gift of Jesus Christ from the Father to sinners like us, that is totally overpowering and some of you will know exactly what I mean by that overpowering with a father when we see that right when we see the cross the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand what really happened there that Jesus Christ was crucified for me the father takes our sinful hearts that rotten thing and he smashes its rebellion with his even more stubborn love And into our hearts then, he lovingly pours all of faith in his own son. He forms in our hearts what could not come out of it before, love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his people. It's like a magic trick. It's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat. He takes a rotten, sinful heart and he pulls faith and love out of it because of his grace. All things are made new. All right, let's go back to this pattern then in verse 16. We've seen that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. We are those sinners. And Jesus, by his death, pours grace into our hearts and pulls faith and love out of them. And then Paul says, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, this is the normal way of things. Now, any sinner, any sinner, no matter how awful they are, no matter what they have done and thought and said, Anyone can come to the Saviour, Jesus, and find grace to cause faith and love. He says that great grace was shown to great sinners to give you and me great confidence in our Saviour for our own forgiveness. Let me give you three examples of this. Great grace being shown to great sinners to give us great confidence. We have a Christian brother who is the Lord's who is currently in prison for terrible crimes that he has committed. And uh, he's written me a letter. I want to read you this this, uh, little bit that he's written to me here. I woke the other morning with Paul's words. To me the chief of sinners in my mind. 
and I feel the weight of that reality. But what Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 1 is thankfully just as true. That in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. It is my prayer that somehow I would be that example to some here. And he is that example to some here too. Great sinner, shown great grace, so that we might have confidence that we can have the same. The second, some of you might have heard of this man, Joachim von Ribbentrop. He was the foreign policy minister to Adolf Hitler during World War II. He is the man who uh, spearheaded the Anschluss and the annexation of other parts of Europe. He's the man who had a hand in the Holocaust. And he was on trial after the war for the war crimes he had committed. While he was in prison awaiting the death penalty, he became converted. The grace of the Lord Jesus was poured into this Nazi war criminal. And out of his heart came faith and love in the Lord Jesus. And so standing on the gallows, with the rope around his neck, he said, I place all my confidence in the Lamb, in Jesus, who made atonement for my sins. The last one is John Newton. We love to sing his hymns, don't we? If he was alive today, he would certainly be in prison for crimes against humanity. He was a slave trader. He dealt in human lives, kidnap, even murder. And he received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ into his rotten heart. Out of his heart comes faith and love because he's forgiven all of his sins by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. There are people in glory like Paul the persecutor, John the slave trader, von Ribbentrop the Nazi. They're in glory, beholding the face of their saviour, saved sinners. Now there are two types of people in the world, okay? There are those to whom this has already happened. They have already received the forgiveness of their sins because of their faith in Jesus. And there are those to whom it may yet happen. Please examine yourself now in your seat. Has this happened to you? Have you been brought by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ from hatred to love and faith in him? We all need to do this, okay? In prayer, cry out to the Father to send to us his Son who comes from heaven into this world to save sinners. We can cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me your grace. Pull out of my heart faith and love 
in the Lord Jesus. So that flowing out of my heart is no longer sin that I turn away from and hate. Faith and love. All right, there's one more stitch here, okay? One more stitch in this pattern, and that's verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That is the last stitch where you tie the little knot. Endless, happy service in the church with Jesus' people. Paul's life was totally turned around, wasn't it? Instead of fighting the Lord Jesus, hunting his people, now he serves him and loves his people. He even gives his own life for him and his people. And that is our happy lot too. Saved, we are grafted into the church of Christ, gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve her and to build her up. What do you think of that? Am I right? No. You're getting a bit carried away here now. This is uh, just Paul talking about himself because he's an apostle. So he's like set apart, special, isn't he? The rest of us can be saved and put our feet up. We don't have to serve the church like that. We can just come to church and not really contribute anything. Remember, this is a pattern for all of us. And to dispel any nonsense like that anyway, Paul chooses not to call himself an apostle here. He says, I am a minister. That means I am a servant. Elsewhere, his favorite little term for himself is the happy slave of the Lord Jesus. And according to his pattern, this happens to all of us. We are all saved by faith in Jesus Christ, grafted into his church, and now we serve our Savior together forever. That is our happy lot. Now, we are run, we've run out of time, okay? So I don't have time to go into this little bit. But let me give you this brain teaser. You can think about this, and if you want, you can get in touch with me about it. How is it that Paul says the Lord counted me faithful before he was saved, when he was still that awful, horrible sinner? That's a good question, isn't it? I'll, I'll leave that one with you. You can chew on that over dinner, okay? Now, Let's finish with this. Verse 17 is where we stand back from our tapestry and look at the pattern that Paul has made for us. To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is our privilege now. For the rest of our happy lives, filled with the grace of the Lord Jesus, filled with faith and love for him, we get to sing his praises forever and forever. All glory to the Father for his unspeakably wonderful gift in Jesus Christ, who came from heaven into this world to seek and to save sinners. And this is now for all of our lives long. It really is, isn't it? All of our lives long. Because 1 Timothy is one of Paul's last letters that he ever wrote. He's at the end of his life here. He's written letters like Romans, which thousands of years later we're still wrapping our heads around. 
huge letters like uh, the Corinthian letters, the, the eschatology of, of Thessalonians, the great Christology of Philippians, his huge brain of Paul's. And here he is at the end of his life, and he says, all of my Christian life, all of my theology, all of my Christianity, everything collapses into this one point, Timothy, Jesus Christ, the Saviour of sinners. Let that be a great encouragement to you and to me. And, you know, a real exhortation there to retain our focus on Jesus Christ, the gracious Saviour of sinners, to put our trust in Him alone, because He saves. He is the source of all of our faith and our love. Let me read to you now just two verses from John chapter 3, then I'll pray very briefly, and then we'll sing to close. John 3, verse 16 and 17. For God, that is the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending him into this world to seek and to save sinners like us who have hated and resisted him for so long. That he did not come to exact justice and vengeance upon us who rebelled against his rightful kingdom, but that he came to give himself and spend himself for us. We do pray, Lord, that you should be kind enough to grant to us faith and love in the Saviour by which we are saved, forgiven of all of our sins and walk now in newness of life. We pray for your Holy Spirit to move within us, to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that we should see the Lord Jesus and believe in him. Oh, Father, thank you for this grace. We pray that you should apply it to us and to ours for his name's sake. Amen.